0: you've got your Bibles, take them and turn to the book of Haggai, chapter 2. We're going to finish the book of Haggai this week. And I want to remind you of kind of where we've been here in a moment. But I want to start out with just some kind of uh, question and answer to some discussion uh, uh, to to get us thinking towards what is being taught in this passage. And here's what I want to know. How many of you watched at least part of the opening ceremonies the other night of the Olympic Games? How many of you watched? Bar that how many of you just said you know what I don't care what the rest of the world's talking about I'm not watching them at all how many was that okay only a few of you all right so if you watch the Olympic Games here's what I want you to do if you didn't you just become a listener and a spectator I want you to for a moment just kind of around the people that are with you right there where you're sitting I want you to tell them what your favorite part of the opening ceremonies were the other night all right and so if you weren't, if you didn't watch, you just kind of join in and listen. But if you were, if you watched it the other night, tell them your favorite part of the opening ceremonies. All right. Go. All right. Somebody tell me, well, what, was your, what was your favorite part the other night? Paul McCartney. How many of you with Paul McCartney? You like you had to be a laid out, right? He started playing about 1045, uh, started acting like a worship leader. Did y'all see that? All the boys sing now, all the girls. It's a, feel like you're in vacation Bible school for a minute. All right. With Hey Jude. All right, so Paul McCarty at the end. Somebody else. What was the favorite part from somebody? The Queen parachuting in with James Bond, alright? Gary? That your granddaughter was in the commercial from TriStar. All right, there you go. I guess that would be a favorite part for you, right? Those weren't actually in the opening ceremonies, but we'll let that slide, all right? It was kind of the... Commercial. If somebody else starts talking about a McDonald's commercial, we're going to be we're going to go off track. So anybody else favorite part? So we got the Queen, we got the uh, Paul McCartney. What's that? The Children's Dream. All right. So jumping on the beds and all that kind of stuff. Chariots of Fire with Mr. Bean. Right, where he's playing the one. All right. It was an interesting opening ceremonies. I I have a friend who went to Union with me who has convinced Baptist Press that they need a representative at the Olympic Games. And so for the last three or four Olympic Games, they have paid for him to go and report on Christian athletes at the Olympics. And so, uh, you know, we're not supposed to be jealous or envious, but he he just took a picture of him with the backdrop of the Olympic Stadium saying getting ready for the opening ceremonies to begin. those are one of those things in life you just think, boy, it'd be awesome to be at that kind of thing. Well, Here's one thing that I noticed. In this kind of narrative that was loosely held together during the opening ceremonies, what you had was an interesting contrast in the way England used to be and the way it is now. And what you had was this progression of change, right? Right? Now, for us in America, when we think something's old, we're talking a couple of hundred years at the most, right? I mean, the nation itself, 1776, is only a little over 200 years old. 200 It's easy for me to remember because it's my age. 236 years old. When England and London, when you're talking about old, you're talking about hundreds of years. And so they did this progression, if you watched it, they went from the agrarian farming society with sheep out there in pastures, and they moved to an industrial kind of revolution where the smokestacks went up and the ground became industrialized into the digital age with some kind of crazy boy meets girl dancing all over the place thing. But digital age, that was happening, and they showed this progression of time. And what I realized as I was watching that is that nothing stays the same. And that things in life are temporary. Now there is a kind of um, monument to the temporary nature of life in London right now. We've got some pictures. We're going to put them up on the screen real quick. Here's a picture of this thing that was built for the Olympic Games. It's nice and open and it looks very modern and it's built. And here's another picture of it that they're showing you how you it's two stories. They have a a serving area, ordering area down at the bottom. And then here's a picture of the lady standing in front of all the places you can order. Um, Another picture that shows kind of the inside. Now, Anybody know what this is? Anybody know what it is? It's McDonald's, right? Here's a picture of the outside of it. It's the world's largest McDonald's. Two stories, half of a football field, and it is there built for the Olympics. And when the Olympics are over, it comes down. It is only going to be in existence for six weeks. Now, they made all of this. This is kind of just a tidbit. It won't go... Really, with the sermon for the moment, but uh, all of it, or about 90% of it, is going to be recycled into other things at the end of it. But for six weeks, McDonald's, this is right outside the Olympic Stadium. They have like 2,500 employees. It is this massive thing. And at the end of six weeks, it's going to be gone. The Olympics themselves are kind of this testimony to the temporary nature of things. The Olympics last for two weeks and then they move on. We sometimes go to Atlanta and there are parts that you remember the Olympics, but it looks nothing like what the Olympics looked like in 1996 when they were there. Even the Olympic athletes themselves remind us of that, right? I mean, the Olympic athletes of my youth were people like um, Edwin Moses and Carl Lewis and Greg Louganis and Those kind of athletes' names that you remember. None of those guys are around anymore. Even the invincible Michael Phelps didn't even medal last night. He's gotten old. Right? He's like in his mid-twenties or something. And it just reminds us of this simple truth that most of the things in life are temporary. Haggai chapter 2, verse 20. Remember where we are in Haggai? If you haven't been here for the last three weeks, you probably don't. But if you do, you remember that we started this sermon series talking about the prophet's desire to have the people rebuild the temple. Because it's in that temple that the glory of God was going to return. And the name of the series has been reversing Ichabod. The word Ichabod just means no glory or lack of glory or the glory has left. And so he is telling them how to bring God's presence and glory and power back into the lives of his people. And so the first week he talks about building the temple and that you need to rebuild it. It's a priority issue that you have neglected the temple and now is the time to rebuild it. And then the second week we talked about that that he was telling them don't look to the past, but concentrate on what's happening here and now. Focus on this, and that this temple you're building is going to be a great temple. And last week, as they dedicated the temple, he reminded them that, listen, if your life is unholy, then what you do in the temple won't matter. Well, this week, the prophet's going to speak specifically to one person. And the reason he's going to speak to this one person is to remind him of the thing that most things in life are temporary. Chapter 2, verse 20. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. It just means it was the same day as the previous word. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah. I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and destroy the power of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overturn chariots and their riders. Horses and their riders will fall, each by his brother's sword. On that day, the Lord declares... I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, my servant, the Lord declares, and make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you. This is the decoration of the Lord of hosts. He tells him here at the very beginning, say, listen, Zerubbabel. He's talking specifically to this political leader, this guy that would be king or ruler of this people. He says, I think it's very specific the reason he says it. Listen, you're about to build a temple, and he tells him a few verses earlier, this temple is going to be greater than the temple that was here before. But always remember, the things of this world are temporary. This is, if you will, a foreshadowing of the fact that the temple they're building will someday be destroyed and anything that you have that you build will someday be taken away. God basically says to him, listen, most of the things in life that you touch or interact with, are temporary. Think about your own life. Think about how you spent your time and your money. What gets you angry or upset? How many of those things are temporary? Just think how you spent your last week. What have you spent your time on in the last week that is temporary? Now, the truth is, most of us don't really, really think about that because the hours start adding up very quickly. We've got a toilet that's running at our house. And it's... I've got to get the parts and replace the inside, but it's just been running, and I've been consumed a little bit by that. We've got a yard that had to be mowed, and guess what's got to be done this week? We have got to mow it again. Now, it's not just the temporary nature that you mow when it comes back, but it's this idea that even the things that seem permanent in life are not. Things that seem to really matter in the eternal view don't. I remember when I was growing up... um, There was this thing that that teachers and parents and school administrators used to always kind of hold over your head that was going to haunt you for the rest of your life. You don't want it to go on your permanent record. Anybody remember that? Anybody ever seen their permanent record? I don't know. They probably got mine in the halls of the, you know, Dyersburg City School System somewhere, but it doesn't seem to have impacted my life very much. Even the permanent record is not permanent. At some point, it's going away. I don't mean that there's not a piece of paper with my stuff, although someday that may go away too. Some of you parents want to say, you should have given us a warning to cover our kids' ears before that, right? Things in life that seem permanent are not. God says to Zerubbabel, listen, the things that seem mighty. This is a time when Darius, the king of Persia, was beginning to exercise his might and show how strong they were going to be. He says, "Listen, they're not going to be around a long time." He even gives this picture back. Where would they have? Where would the Egyptian? Or excuse me, I just gave you the answer. Where would the Israelites? do not y'all play along with me? All right. Where would the Israelites have imagined chariots and riders with the Egyptians? Look at y'all today. Remember the stories of the Egyptians and the Red Sea parting, right? And they ride in and this mighty army is destroyed in a moment in their chase. God says, it's all temporary. This is what I think he's telling Zerubbabel. The first thing he's telling him is to hold loosely the temporary. Hold loosely the temporary. Now, we are really good at emphasizing and thinking about and putting effort into things that are eventually temporary. I mean, things in your life. Houses. Paychecks. Vehicles. Careers. Social groupings. Memberships. Temporary. Think about how much of your life is consumed by that. And what he says is, we need to hold that stuff very loose. It it doesn't say here to get rid of them or, or abandon them all. It's just realize that they are but temporary things. And then he wants them to understand this. That we need to grasp tightly the eternal. Here's what he means by all this at the end with the signet ring and I've chosen you and all of that. The language at the end of this Chapter at the end of this book is very much rooted in the language of God telling the kings of Israel that you are my chosen leader. And there had been this prophecy that had come along and said that the nation of Israel, Hosea actually says this, will be scattered and they will go for a time without a leader or without sacrifices, without God being in their presence. But one day they would return to God and God would return to them. And it's almost a declaration from the Lord. Not only am I coming back in my presence, but I'm reestablishing you as my leader and being mindful of or thinking ahead about the fact that one day, the great leader, the great king, the king of kings will come as I have promised he will come. In fact, that's that language. I have taken you and I have made you. Are the words in the Old Testament for taking someone and repositioning who they are, changing who they are. It's like in the Old Testament when God changes people's names from Abram to Abraham, from the father of one to the father of multitude. When he changes people's names, names. He's changing their identity. And he says to Zerubbabel, I'm not changing your name, but you are the reconstituted king. Now, why does all that matter? It matters because God says, my promised one is coming and you need to work this day to make sure that my people are ready when the Messiah finally comes. That what you're doing here will have a global impact for my kingdom. When he says signet ring, that was just a sign of authority that I have chosen you. It's just a sign that God is doing this. And he wants him to understand you are going to serve an important part, not because of who you are, but because who I'm making you. There's a difference there even for us to understand. Our significance in life is not necessarily from who we are, as it is from who God is making us, who's declaring us to be. Here's what's interesting about this guy Zerubbabel. He shows up in the New Testament. Anybody guess where he shows up in the New Testament? Because he's not still alive, right? This is a few hundred years before that. He shows up in Matthew and he shows up in Luke. In the genealogy of Jesus. And here's what's interesting about Matthew and Luke. They give a little different genealogy. They're focusing on different things, but at certain points they come together and they have exactly the same information. And one of those places they come together is Shetiel, whose son was Zerubbabel. He's saying, you don't realize this right now because at the beginning of the book of Haggai... He's just another leader that had not been doing what God had wanted him to do. He's just another guy that had been living, thinking everything's all right, when God had not been in the midst of who they are. He's just another guy living his life out, leading his people as best he can, but not with an eye towards God. And God says, you don't realize you are a part of the line of the one who will come, who will save the world. And you need to continually live your life focused on things of eternal nature. Now, I'll just be real honest with you. Zerubbabel probably didn't get all that. He definitely didn't get that there would become the one that would live a perfect life and die on a cross. But he got an understanding that who he was in God was significant in how he lived. And he got an understanding that the things in life that we really need to worry about are the things that are eternal. So let me ask you this. What have you done in the last week of eternal significance? Have you had any conversations with your children or with your grandchildren or with your coworkers or your friends or your neighbors, your parents, about spiritual things that matter? Have you invested your time, your money, your energy into something of eternal significance? Those are the things that we need to grasp tightly and hold on to.